Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Alright, let us pray and get into the Word. Father, thank you because I'm anointed to teach your word. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive and to get our faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. And I pray today that light and understanding will come to your word and our heart will be supernaturally transformed by the power of your word. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Alright, so we'll be continuing with the teachings on the parable of the sower. And I I just want to really appeal to you to... um, Make sure that you follow these teachings, uh, regardless of what is going on. Keep your heart uh, in the center of the word, and just make sure that the lessons that God is sharing with us at this particular time, we're gleaning them, because they are profound lessons that actually uh, are going to supernaturally really transform our lives and set us on the path of discipleship. Praise God. Okay, now, in part four, we talked about the things that choke the word, that literally makes the word of God unfruitful, right? The things that choke the word, that literally makes God's word unfruitful. Now, I, I want to, I did a bit of study on this, um, the, 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 what it means for the word to be choked. You know, what it means for the word to be, to be choked. And I did look at the Greek, of course, yeah. I did look at the Greek. And that word choke means to strangle completely. To strangle completely or to literally drown something. Right? So it, it, it means three things. When it says um, in, in Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4 verse 7, it says, Other seed fell among thorns. That's the verse that we're in right now. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 7, it says, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it, and choked the plants. Right? We're still in Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4 verse 7. Now, we, did, we dealt with worries of this life in part 4. So we're looking at the deceitfulness of riches. I hope you haven't forgotten the four things that choked the word. When we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew 13. Verse 22, Mark 4, 19, Luke 8, 4. The, the four things that took the word that makes the word not to produce are the worries of this life, which we dealt with in part 4. The deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things, or pleasures. Right. So these are the things that make the word not to be fruitful. Now, when I looked at the Greek, in the Greek New Testament, what that word means to choke the word, it means to strangle completely, to strangle completely, or to drown, or to crowd out. You know, it's almost like, you know, the word is being crowded out, that there is no space for it to produce, or to drown. The word is being drowned in these things, and the word cannot come into effect. The one that was very shocking to me is, to strangle completely. What does it mean to strangle completely? It's to, you know, it's almost to like press in such a way that life comes, the, 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 you know, that thing becomes dead. You know, to press and to put pressure in a way that 
it cannot produce life or it leads to death. And that's what these things do when we, the anxiety and the cares of this life. One of the things it does to the Word of God is it strangles the Word of God completely in our life. It chokes it out. It crowds it. It drowns it in such a way that the Word is not able to, you know, produce the life that it ought to produce. I'll tell you this. Every Word of God written in Scripture, John 6, 63, one of my favorite verses, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So what that means is that God's word to us contains life and the word will not return to God void. And God honors his word more than his name. His word is highly exalted, right? So if we put our heart to the word of God, if we make ourselves available to the word of God, the word of God will produce results. But if we give in to these things, worries of this life, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, they are going to choke the word, and according to Mark chapter 4, verse 19, making it unfruitful. So it means the word of God was designed to bear fruit, but then these things make the word of God unfruitful. And, and I tell you, it is something that we must pay very close attention to. We must take heed to. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, so the word choke means to strangle completely, to drown, or to crowd out figuratively to crowd out okay now we want to look at uh let's read matthew 13 22 again it says jesus was interpreting it says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word making it unfruitful the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Mark 4.19 But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Luke chapter 8 verse 4 The seed that fell among thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasure and they do not mature so mark says it makes it unfruitful luke says they do not mature now one of the things i wanted to, to see between the writing of matthew mark and luke uh matthew just uses the word deceitfulness of wealth right uh, luke uses the word mark uses the word deceitfulness of wealth matthew uses the word deceitfulness of wealth luke uses the word just riches okay so and the reason i'm reading and comparing all of these is to give you perspective. Now, it is not riches that is the problem, but the deceitfulness of it. So, if you read only Luke chapter 8, verse 4, it says, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worry and riches. What are you going to conclude? Oh, well, riches, uh, no, 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 riches are going to choke the word. <clears throat> and if you're not careful, that can build up like a poverty mentality in you, and then you can justify it with scriptures, okay? You can justify it with scriptures by saying, well, this is what the scripture said. But that's not exactly the way it comes out in interpretation. Because we can compare Matthew and Mark and know that what the Lord was speaking clearly about is the deceitfulness of wealth, okay? So, our goal this, in this study this evening is going to be on the deceitfulness of wealth okay the deceitfulness of riches 
Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 6, right here. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. And we're going to look at um, what Jesus said. It's very important for us to understand something, that God wants us. You know, God wants us to prosper. There's no two ways about that. Now, in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said something very clearly, and, and, and I think I dealt with it in part 4. So, make sure you listen to it. It was towards the end of part 4. I dealt with it on how Jesus got into the reason for you not to worry. So, I'm going to read it again and give you perspective. Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters. Now, I want you to pay very close attention because we are building a case towards understanding the deceitfulness of riches. We're building a case towards understanding how, that's important, how the deceitfulness of riches choke the word of God. How the deceitfulness of riches makes it in such a way that the word of God becomes unproductive or makes it in such a way that people do not come into full maturity as they uh, give or yield themselves to the deceitfulness of riches, even though they have heard the word. Now, it's very important for you to grasp this. This parable was to believers, and that's very important. This parable was not to unbelievers. It wasn't to people who haven't heard the word. This parable is to those who have heard the word, who have listened to the word, who came to hear the word. So it's not just talking about a random person in the street. So this, this, this parable is to uh, those who have heard the word and listened to the word and taken a hold of the word. But these are other factors that are fighting the word <laughs> you know, strangling the word and making sure that the word doesn't produce. Okay. And remember what we said in the beginning, uh, when we started this series, I think in part one, we said the aim of Satan is the word. Don't ever forget that. Whatever Satan wants in your life is to make sure that the word of God does not produce. He comes for the word because if Satan can get the word, then he has gotten your victory. If Satan can get the word, then he has gotten your Deliverance. If he has, if he can get the word, then he has gotten anything. Your joy, your peace, your inheritance. Praise God. You know, remember what Paul said in the book of Acts. What did he say? Acts chapter twenty. I commend you to God. Praise God. Acts twenty thirty two. Look at this. And now I commend you to God and to what? And to the word of His grace. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able. To build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Praise God. Now look at this. Very important. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. Which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Praise God. What it means is that God's word is the agency for us to be built up. It's the word of God that builds you up. And it's the word of God that gives you the inheritance that you deserve. Praise the name of the Lord. And so when Paul was about to die in Acts chapter 20 verse 32, he commended them to God. 
But he did not just leave them. He didn't just say, well, I commend you to God. Because if Paul just says, I commend you to God, it leaves the responsibility on the hands of God alone. But in the hands of God alone, pardon me. But Paul says, I commend you to God. And then he commends them also to the word of his grace. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. To the word of his grace. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which has the capacity, the ability, the energy, the authority. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. The authority to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Glory to God. Well, I get excited reading Acts 20.32. You know the reason why? Because if I can stick with God and his word, I'll be built up. And if I'm built up, then I can get the inheritance that belongs to me. Glory to God. So how did we go to Acts 20.32? We went to Acts 20.32 because we are saying that Satan's strategy is to get the word. That's what the devil is after in your life. And that's why in this, in this period of this global crisis, you must not, even though, I mean, we can, can have physical gatherings, don't tone down on the word. Increase your word intake. Because that's what Satan is after. That's what Satan is after. Satan would rather you feed on the fear of the current crisis than feed on the word. So at a point, you have to turn off the news and get into the word. Why? Because that's what can build you up. It's the word of God that will build your immunity, praise God. It's the word of God that will save you and will heal you, praise God. Alright, let's go back. Matthew chapter... 6. Go back to verse 24 now. Praise God. Verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. So I want you to observe the word master. Observe the word master. And that is very important as we progress to the deceitfulness of riches. No one can serve two masters. And who was Jesus referring to right here? And he clarified it. And he says, For either he will hate one. Alright? The word... Now, I, I, I want to... Let me, let me, let me back trip. Let me come back a bit. Let me come back a bit. No one can serve two masters. Okay? The word master, listen carefully, in the Greek New Testament is kurios. Kurios. K-U-R-I-O-S. No one can serve two masters, two couriers. The word couriers is from the word supremacy. Now, it's the word supreme in authority. But most important, it's a noun controller. Controller. Now, that's the word I want you to get. Controller. This is the foundation of the study. Controller. So, if we look at this now, we say the Greek word for masters is kurios. It means supreme in authority. It means controller. If we replace the word masters, right, here, with controllers, then we can begin to get a bit of meaning here. No one can serve two controllers. For either he will hate the one... And love the other, or he will be devoted, or observe that word, to one, and despise the other. 
you cannot serve God and wealth. Or, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, it means, for instance, God is saying, if someone has two controllers, you have two people who are leading an organization, for instance, if you've got two heads, you're going to try to get the loyalty of one head because you know that that one can help you. You cannot have the same amount of loyalty to two heads. And Jesus said it's regarding to money. Said it's regarding to wealth. Said it's regarding to riches. Do you realize in all of scriptures, God does not even place himself at that same level with Satan, for instance. He doesn't talk about you can't serve God and Satan. The only place he told us you cannot serve two people is God and wealth. And this is serious business. So the word masters there is the, is the Greek word kurios. It means controller. So what, what, what Jesus was trying to say is, listen, you cannot be under the control of money and be under the control of God. You cannot have the same loyalty and the same respect and the same obedience to money or to God. Wealth, riches or to God. Then he goes on, verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you. Which reason? Which reason is he saying this to them? If you use the, the New King James Version, it says, Therefore I say to you. Now he's saying, For this reason I say to you. For what reason? For the reason that man cannot serve God and mammon. For the reason that man cannot have two masters. For the reason that man cannot have two controllers. For the reason that he will either hate one and love the other. Or for the reason that he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Praise God. Are you getting this right now? For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Now, it shows us that worry is a subtle control from a master. Right? Worry is a subtle control from a master. So this is it, right? This is it. If I yield to God, I yield to faith. If I yield to God, I yield to faith. So, the control of God, or the, the, let me use the word, permit me to use the word now. The subtle control of God over my life is faith in Him. But the subtle control of mammon, riches, wealth over my life, is worry. So, the, the, the wealth generates worry, and that worry about life becomes a legitimate source of subtle control, and it, it makes me yield to the pull and the push of money more than the pull and the push of God. So, for instance, if I've got an opportunity to do something for God or to go where I'll make more money, wh- where do you think I'm going to go? I'm going to go to where I'll make more money with the thing that, well, you know, if I make more money, then I can help God more. Or I can help the church more. I can help the pastor more. And unconsciously, even as ministers of the gospel, we haven't done well because we've almost pushed the fact that this, the, the control of mammon uh, is almost becoming uh, uh, an object of worship even in the body of Christ globally. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we, I, I have been able to establish that and that's really something I want you to pick about the subject of being under the control. So if we are under the control, if we allow money or wealth or riches to govern us, then we are opening up ourselves to a place where um, money and that governing principle and that governing control and that ability for money to take a hold of our decisions, our minds and everything about us to 
choke the word of God and then the word of God becomes unfruitful. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay. So, let's look at this. How does riches deceive? How does riches deceive? Now, let me, let me, let me go back a bit and, and, and try to explain the word deceitfulness. Right. Let's, let's deal with that. Let's deal with that. It says in Matthew 13, 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Deceitfulness of wealth. Mark 4, 19, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Luke 8, 4. The seed that fell among thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Now, that word, deceitfulness of wealth, is... From the Greek New Testament, you know, and, and you know, people have asked me lots of time, why are you always using Greek, Greek, and Hebrew? Well, the answer is very simple. The Bible is translated from Greek. And so, if you understand a bit of Greek, it gives you an idea of what the Bible is talking about a lot, a lot more. Praise God. Okay. So, deceitfulness is the Greek word apat. Apat. A P A T E. Apat. Now, the word. Apart in the Greek is used only seven times in the New Testament. Only seven times in the New Testament. The four Gospels and the Epistles. Only seven times. From uh, Matthew to Revelation. It's used only seven times. Apart means delusion. Delusion. Deceivableness. Or deceit. Now, the word delusion is to believe something that is not true. Praise God. It's to believe something that is not true. So what does that tell us? It tells us like this. That money positions itself in, in our lives as a controller deluding us because we believe that money has uh, much power. In real sense, power that it doesn't have. So it's almost, it's almost buying into the delusion of mammon. And if Satan is able to get us into that delusion of mammon, what happens is that Satan cannot, can now take control of our lives and because of that delusion, because of that deception is planted. Remember, please get our series on overcoming the devil. It's a four-part series. If you don't have it, please make sure you request for it, okay? Uh, and if you have it, go back and listen to it again. We talked about the fact that the devil is not powerful. The devil is only deceptive, subtle. That's the same way he deceived Eve. And Paul makes that very clear to us in the epistles that Eve was beguiled or deceived in her mind. And that's what Satan does to us. He, he deludes us to believe that money has so much power. Okay? Now what goes on here is this. If we buy into that delusion, we begin to run a race that is opposite to the word of God. And then that now chokes the word of God and causes the word of God not to produce the fruits that it should produce. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, so the word um, apart, which is 
delusion in the Greek, which is the word deceitfulness used there. It's used seven times in the New Testament. It's used in Matthew 13, 22, which we just read. It's used in Mark chapter 4, verse 19. That's the second place it's used. It's used in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. That's the third place it's used. It's used in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. It says that in reference to your former man of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the seed. In verse 23, it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So it's talking about the way we lived before. When you were in the world, you, 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 you were living as if everything in the world was okay. It was right until Christ came and light was shining in your heart and you received the gospel. It's like somebody who is involved in all kinds of mess in the world. They think they're enjoying life. They think they're living right until they find the truth of eternal life, the message of this life that is in the gospel. And you realize that's the same thing that happens. When a man is deluded by wealth, he goes on and on and on and on and on until the light of God's word comes and says, listen, this thing is controlling you. You think you're chasing it. You think you're having a good life. But this thing is absolutely in control of you. It's driving your visions. Praise God. The other place is used in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. It's used, it's used as vain deceit. Colossians 2, 8. You know, it's used as vain deceit. Uh, the American Standard Bible uses empty deception. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty decision. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than according to what? To Christ. The other place is used is Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse uh, 10. It's used in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. And it is used there as what the deceivableness of unrighteousness. It's how unrighteous, you know, when people live unrighteous life, and, and they look at you that is living a godly life as if you're the one that's not sensible, as if you're the one that's not, yeah, you're not enjoying life, you don't have swag, you're not grooving, you know, it's, it's deception, it's delusion. It's believing something that is not true. <laughs> it's believing something that is not true. You know, only God can tell us what is true. Praise God. Okay. So, Second Thessalonians 2.10, the New American Standard Version. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So, the King James Version calls it the deceivableness of unrighteousness. The New American Standard Version calls it the deception of wickedness. Okay? Now... Hebrews 3.13 is the next place where it is used. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. Praise God forevermore. Okay. It says, Hebrews 3.13. Let's look at, let's, let's start reading from verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you, of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Wow. Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Apart. The delusion of sin. And so if somebody gets involved in sin for a long time, they become hardened. They build a theology around it. They build justification around it. Can I tell you something today? What is sin is sin. It doesn't matter how you want to justify it. It doesn't matter how you want to think, well, this is okay, I'm just in it for this. No, no, no. Sin is sin. Whatever is sin, you have to walk away from. Praise God. Okay, so 
Uh, last place, last place, seven places where that word apart is used in the New Testament. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. 2 Peter 2, 13. 2 Peter 2, 13. Only seven times that word is used. It means delusion. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls. Having a heart trained in greed. Accost children. <laughs> as bad. Praise God. So he says, with their own deceivings. That's how the New King James Version uses it. If you're using the New King James. Their own deceiving. Praise God. Okay. So let's go here now. How does riches deceive us? How do the deceitfulness of riches plug into our heart? And I want to say this to you, right? And this is very, very important. This thing about the deceitfulness of riches is not only about wealthy people. It's not only about people who have money. And sometimes it works so strong in people who don't have money. <laughs> yeah. You know, so when we talk about this of riches, don't just go, like, yeah, praise God, all the rich people, it's time to preach to them. Well, I don't have money. Thank God. I'm not. No, 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 no. The deceitfulness of riches takes a hold of any man. Any man. Praise God. So how does material wealth deceive us? Number one, by making promises it cannot keep. Money promotes itself as the answer to our problems. So I want to say this. Money promotes itself as the answer to our problems. So one of the things you realize in life is this, right? Um, a lot of times you feel that, well, if I have more money, then I'm going to be able to solve this problem. And if I have more money, then I'm be, I'll be able to handle this and that. And instead of looking to God as our source of solving whatever issues we have, we begin to put money first place. Instead of looking at God as the solution, as the deliverer, we begin to put money first place. We begin to come under that subtle influence that if we are under the, 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 the servitude, and if we're submitted, if we had more money, then we'll get a lot more done. I realized this, you know, uh, uh, the, the Lord, the Lord uh, spoke to Brother J.C., uh, J.C. Duplantis, in the U.S. about carrying out a project. And, and, and Jesus said, well, God, I don't have that money. And God said to him, I didn't ask you to have the money. I asked you to believe for it. Now, I'm going somewhere. You know, when we have issues in our life, and I've learned that a long time ago in ministry, I just pray and say, God, we have this issue. You know how to take care of it. Sometimes the Lord sends us the money and we handle it. Sometimes the Lord handles it without sending us the money. In any case, it's handled. Praise God. So, so God is our source. Listen, when we say God is our source, and it's very important, He is not just our source of supplies. He is our source of deliverance, and our source of well-being, and our source of contentment, and our source of value. Glory to God. Glory to God. I said glory to God. He is our source of value. We take our value from Almighty God. Praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. Okay, so money promotes itself as the answer to our problems. Then it, it, it sets itself as a barometer of God's blessings. So we almost feel like 
If I don't have money, then God is not blessing me. If I have money, then God is blessing me. So, so listen to this. We almost judge the faithfulness, the love, the mercy, the care of God by how much money we have. So it's almost like we use mammon as a measuring word and as a measuring standard for God's, for, for who God is. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, it makes us to think our value lies in how much we are able to accumulate. It, it makes us think our value lies in how much we are able to accumulate. And it promises to provide a type of comfort and rest and abundant pleasure that can only be found in the presence of God. So how does money deceive us? How, how does the deception of wealth come in? It comes in because it makes us think our value lies in how much we are able to accumulate. And Jesus clearly spoke against this in scriptures. When he says that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. And yet we don't talk about this all the time. We don't talk about this all the time. That that is not what consists our life. If you listen very carefully while I was teaching in, in, in part 4, I talked about the fact that God was rebuking the disciples because of their value system. He, he asked them a question very clearly in, in Matthew chapter 6. Are you not of much value than the beds? Are, are you following that? Are you not of much? Because when we get into these worry habits, praise God, when we get into those worry habits, what happened? It's because we begin to see ourselves less. And we say, well, I, I need more to be able to measure up to the standard of society and all that. I need more to be able to... And, 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 and in Matthew chapter 6, if you look at verse... Um, let's, let's, go to, let's go there quickly. Verse, verse 24 now, we go back to verse 24 and then we read down to verse 26. No one can serve two masters... For either he will hate one, the, the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26, look at this. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into bands. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? So the, the question of provisions and worry, the scripture tells us is a question of value. Right. Now, we, we, if, if you are under the deceitfulness of riches, you begin to take your value and who you are from what you have. Instead of taking your value from the fact that Christ has redeemed you, you are blood-bought, washed saints of Almighty God. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Those things will begin to make more value to you than just your physical accumulation. Are you following this? Now, I, I said this very clearly. It is God's will to prosper us. It is God's will to bless us. But it is never His will for prosperity and the blessings to be our master. He is always wanted to be our Lord and our master. So, the next thing that can help us identify this delusion of wealth is that it promises to provide a type of comfort and rest and abundant pleasure that can only be found in the presence of God. They are things that only God can give to us. And one of the things that happens is money poses itself like 
If I've got this money, I have these riches. If I, uh, sorry, I have this pleasure. I, 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 my life will be at rest. The, the hustle and the bustle of this world. No, that's not true. Your satisfaction in life must always come from Jesus, from His presence. Glory to God. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. There's, I mean, we're, 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 we're in the midst of a, uh, uh, a crisis right now in the world. And, and we've prayed about it and we, we believe God, our faith is on the line that we're going to, the whole world is going to come out of this sooner than we think. Glory to God. We, we stop that evil virus in Jesus' name. Praise God. But look at this. The whole world is, is almost on a standstill. And with all the money we have in the world, we can't, we can't, we can't seem to, to push this thing backwards. Praise God. Praise God. Why? There are things that only God can provide. Our sense of value, our sense of joy, our sense of satisfaction must come from God and Him alone. Hallelujah. Okay. Whoa, time is going. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. Praise God. Let's look at this now. So, I go through that again. I believe that you've been able to get the keys on that, right? Money promotes itself as the answer to our problem. It sets itself as a barometer or as a measuring standard of God's blessing and His ability to provide for us. Number three, it makes us think our value in terms of how much we accumulate and how much we, prom- we, we possess, number three. Number four, it promises to provide a type of comfort and rest and pleasure that can only be found in the presence of God. Okay, so let's look at um, certain examples in Scripture regarding this and just deal with them. Praise God. Come with me to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. We're going to read from verse 16 to 26. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Now, observe this, that this man came to Jesus with a request. And what was that request? He first of all called him teacher or rabbi. And some translations actually uses the word master. Remember what we talked about, curious, control. Master is the Greek word curious. It means to the controller, the one with the supreme authority. So in some translations, he actually refers to Jesus as master or teacher or rabbi. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I might obtain eternal life? Verse 17. And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now observe, observe this carefully. Then he said, which ones? Man, I love this guy. He's so bold. He met Jesus. He said, which one? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go. Or if you wish to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. 
If you read some other renderings of this, the scripture says, and Jesus loved him, said to him. So, here, right here, Jesus was giving this young man an opportunity to become a disciple. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. The man was not in sin. There's nothing wrong. He was not sinning. He's kept all the commandments. He was wealthy. Jesus offered him an opportunity to become a disciple. He said, you know what I want you to do? If I'm truly your master, I want you to do this right now. Go sell all you have and come follow me. But let's look at the response. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Remember, the word come, follow me is the same instruction that Jesus gave to all the disciples he had. This was a massive invitation for this young man to become a disciple of Jesus. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. Whoa. He went away sorrowful. Jesus, uh, some translations said. When this young man <laughs> had the statement of Jesus, had the invitation to discipleship. The Bible says he went away grieving. He was sad. He was sorrowful. For he was one who owned much property. Wow. Now, that word, sorrowful, is a strong word. It's lupio in the, in, in the Greek. It's lupio. It means to be in distress. To be re reflectively sad. To be in heaviness. He reflected on all he had. And he became sad that, listen, I'm going to sell all of these things? No way. Look at this. And pay careful attention to this. In verse 16, the Bible says, And someone came to him and said, So he came to Jesus. In verse 22, But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. He literally walked out on Jesus with sorrow. He came to Jesus. He wanted the secret of eternal life. And Jesus said, come on. Come follow me. Come be my disciple. I'm extending to you a unique invitation. Now listen carefully. And please, I want you to pay attention. All the disciples of Jesus, Jesus went around and called them. He saw Peter, James, Zebedee fishing with their father and said, come, follow me. Jesus went out to look for them and called them. This is the one person who came to Jesus and, and Jesus offered, many people, many people, Jesus offered him that opportunity. Come, follow me. And he walked away from Jesus, sorrowful, for he was one who owned much property. Now, this is it. He was not the one who owned the property. He was the property that owned him. How do I know that? 
he couldn't respond in obedience to Jesus. He couldn't respond in obedience to Jesus. Praise God. I mean, let me just throw an example out there. I mean, it's, it's an extreme example, but it's good. Would you be able to respond to the Lord if the Lord tells you to take a pay cut to go somewhere and do something for Him? Would you be able to respond? And it's something you should think about. Would you, would, you, would you work for the church, let's say for instance, for a lesser salary just to be able to be there to help the gospel go forward? Would you, would you trade your skill and your abilities for the kingdom at a lesser rate just so we can have materials developed to grow and to mature the saints? These are, the, these are the critical times you think like, who, where actually is the control? Because, because it actually means that, listen, I can't make some decisions because I'm going to be poorer. I can't make some decisions because how am I going to take care of my children? I can't make some decisions because like, oh, then my children won't be able to have the kind of life I want them to have. And you see, constantly, we are in between the opinion of either trusting God to make His word and His plan come to pass in our life, or trusting in the money we have to make that come to pass. Now, this is the basis for the statement. We've heard this statement all along. This is the basis for that statement. Again, I say to you, it is easier... Okay, verse 23, sorry. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And people have used this to preach against wealth, but that's not exactly what it's talking about. It's talking about the ability for the wealthy to be able to obey God constantly. That if care is not taken because of their possessions, they would always live in disobedience to God. Because when God is giving them, a, uh, giving them a, a particular instruction, their money and wealth is giving them a particular instruction. Or when God is giving them a particular instruction, their pursuit of money, trying to get rich, trying to get more, is giving them another instruction. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay. But let's, let's finish this up. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? <laughs> and looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now listen carefully. We always make this statement in church. With God, all things are possible. Now, the context of this statement is the fact that with God, all things are possible. That regardless of the possession I have, I'll still be able to obey the demands of discipleship. That is why, Jesus, that's why God made this statement. He didn't just make this statement because, you know, I'm looking for this job. With God, all things are possible. I'm looking for a wife. With God, all things are possible. I'm looking for a car. With God, all things are possible. I'm looking for a cat or a dog. With God, no, 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 no. He made this statement in the context of the fact that if a wealthy man will submit himself to God, he will make the kingdom. Or if a man who doesn't have much submits himself to God, that craving and that pursuit of wealth that, you know, hinders the obedience to the demands of the kingdom is able to make the kingdom. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's go on here. Our time is running. Luke chapter 18. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 18 and verse 24. I hope I can finish this. But let's go. Luke 18, 24. Mm. Same story. Same story about the man. 
But there's something I want to say here. If you look at, it's the same story. Rich young ruler. Look at him. Verse 18. I want to pick up something here. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You, you do the commandment. Verse 20. Go to verse 21. And he said, All these things I've kept from my youth. And I had to pick that up. So I just want to say that. A young man can keep the commandments of God. Alright? A young man can keep the commandments of God. Okay. Now look at this. Let's read on verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all, your, all you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. I want to observe that because we're going to read that again in First Timothy, towards the end of this lesson. Wow, I've got a few minutes left. Let's go. And you shall have treasure in heaven. So observe that. Jesus says, When you sell and give to the poor, you're going to have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. This is Luke's account. For he was what? Extremely rich. Okay. <laughs> and Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then who, they who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Peter, but Peter said, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, wife, brother, sister, parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. So what was Jesus and Peter saying here? Peter said, But we made a decision to leave everything and, and come after you. What's, what's happening? Jesus said, No, there is a reward system. Your obedience to me will not make me not reward you. If you Stay in obedience to me, I will reward you. Right? But I'll reward you based on the fact that you listened to me. You heeded my call. You heeded my call of discipleship. Praise the name of the Lord. And these things can come. Let me give you an example. You know, it, when we talk about the, the decisions of rich, you can be so wealthy, you've got all these entertainment gadgets, Netflix, uh, Star Times, DSTV all around your house, and you are not yielding to the call of separation and prayer. Because there's so much abundance around. That's the deceitfulness of riches. It just means that these are the things that are controlling your time. You cannot shut those things down and spend time with the Father and spend time in prayer and spend time fellowshipping and spend time in study. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, let's quickly go. I've got ten more minutes. Uh, Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. And I have two more scriptures to go. Well, quite a lot of scriptures. Uh, Let's do Luke chapter 12. Mm, I see here now. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. Jesus said this. Okay, let's read. I like this story. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Funny guy. Jesus was teaching and the guy was not concerned about what Jesus was teaching. He was concerned about dividing the family property. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed. Underline that word. Every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So Jesus was very clear here that we cannot measure our life by the abundance of possessions that we have. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I'll tear down my bands and build larger ones. And they'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your case, eat, 
drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, who is a fool in the scripture? A man that says there is no God. These very nights, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So this is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, do you remember what I said? You should take note of in, the other, in, in, in Luke chapter, chapter 18 that we read. If you give to the poor, you'll have treasures in heaven. In Luke chapter 12, verse 21, it says, This is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So, what was the opportunity that God was presenting to the rich young ruler? It's the opportunity to be rich towards God and not just store up treasure for himself. What the world promotes is storing up treasure for yourself. And that, if care is not taken becomes the deceitfulness of riches. In, in the sense that you have stored up, uh, you've stored up so much treasure for yourself, like this, I think I, I dealt with this in one of our sermons, that this, re, uh, this man had so much possession, he was not concerned about anybody, he was not concerned about anything, he was just concerned about how he was going to retire, I was going to lay up bands here and there and all that and say to you so well, I've worked so hard for my money, it's time to rest. And Jesus says, you are a fool. Who is a fool? A fool is the man who says in his heart, there is no God. So literally, literally, this man was living as if God does not exist. And that's what the deceitfulness of riches does to us. We feel like when we have money, we can have absolute control over everything. We can determine where we want to go, how we want to do, whatever we want to do with our life. And it's almost like money begins to choke and push God out of our lives. And we make all our decisions because we can fund it. Even as a ministry, we have to be careful not to do the things that are just good to us and not the things that God is sending us to do. God is sending, God, God has got an assignment for the local church. God has got an assignment for our life and ministry. And we must be careful to make sure that we are doing what God wants us to do, not doing what money is telling us to do. Praise the name of the Lord. Sometimes the availability of funds can begin to give you direction. It's not as many as are led by how much money they have. It's as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Glory to God. They are the sons of God. Hallelujah. Wow, praise God. Seven more minutes. Uh, glory, 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 glory. First Timothy chapter 6. The first closing before the final closing. First Timothy chapter 6. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God's Word is life. Praise God. First Timothy chapter 6. Let's go to verse 9 to 17. Glory to God. First Timothy chapter 6. Verse 9 to 17. Thank you Lord Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 9 to 17. Thank you Lord. Uh, can we start reading from verse... Uh, oh wow. This is... Uh, let's start reading quickly from verse 1. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. These are kingdom principles. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is considered... And understands nothing, but he has morbid interest in controversial issues and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions. 
and constant friction between men of depraved mind and depraved, deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So they suppose that godliness is a means of profit. Okay. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. You must understand this. You didn't bring anything into the world, and when you die, you're not going to take anything out of it. This is a funda- fundamental principle for contentment. Okay? Verse 8. If we have food and covering with this, we shall be content. Okay, let's read now. Verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. So, this, this is talking about those who don't have right now. But they actually want to have some money. They want to be wealthy. They want to blow. They want to hammer. They want to, you know, be big guys. It says, if you're not careful, there's going to be the temptation of harmful, foolish desires. It, and it will plunge you into ruin and destruction. What's the basis for stealing corruption everywhere? It's people who just want to be rich. And that is the... So, the deceitfulness of riches... For a man who doesn't have abundance right now, is that thinking that when I have this money, then things are going to go well. And then he gets his whole life. It doesn't even matter who he's lying to, cheating and all that. He just gets his whole life into this pursuit of, me- of money. If you're a minister, you begin to do things just to get offerings out of people and they, telling them to sow all kinds of seed, to get all kinds of stuff. And you fall into traps and temptation that will bring your ministry and your assignment to ruin. Verse 10, for the love of money, look at this, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Do you realize what we read when it says you cannot love God? It says, uh, sorry, you cannot serve two masters, right? Either you will love one and hate the other. So if you have the love of money, you cannot have the love of God. If you have the love of money, you cannot have the love of God. It says, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. And pierce themselves with many griefs. So can you see that now? They long for it. They, 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 there's a longing, there's a craving for this money. What makes them? That craving leads them to wander from the faith. The craving leads them to wander from the faith. Glory to the name of the Lord. The craving leads them. And they begin to wander. They, they, they walk away from the faith. That's a deception. The deception is that longing for money. And as you continue to pursue that, you begin to walk away from the faith. You're, okay, now this is not to say you shouldn't actively work, you shouldn't pursue investment and all that. You must get the heart of this study. You must be careful that that is not what is controlling your life. That's not what the, is the master over your life. Okay, and he goes on to say, but flee these things, you man of God, praise God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, because of time, let's just leave all of that. Go to verse 17. So, in verse 6 to 10, Paul talks about those who want to get money. In verse 17, he addresses those who already have money. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, not to be proud, or to fix their hope on uncertain riches. This line right here, underline that, this line right here is the deceitfulness of riches. Fixing your hope on uncertain riches. Look at this. It says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope in uncertain, on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And this exactly, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him, and says, 
listen, listen, and ask them about <laughs> getting eternal life. This was what Jesus was offering him. An opportunity to distribute, to be generous and to be ready to share so that he can have a treasure of a good foundation for the future. So, the deceitfulness of riches for the poor is the constant longing to get money. The, the pursuit, the craving. And the deceitfulness of riches for the rich is fixing their hope in certain riches and not fixing their hope in God. Praise God. So that's the summary of everything I've been saying in the last one hour. Praise the name of the Lord. If you don't have, there's this thing about getting it, getting it, that makes you wander from the faith. And if you have, there's this thing about preserving and keeping and keeping and not willing to distribute to, to kingdom causes and generous and being generous and being ready to share. And you keep accumulating because you're putting your hope there. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay. Let me run through this quickly. I, I got this while I was studying and I kind of like it. Five diagnostic questions you should ask yourself. Amen. Uh, it, it, it was developed by a guy called Richard Lina. I'll just say this and then we can wrap up. Praise the name of the Lord. Number one, do I think I'll be happier with just a little more? It's very tempting to look at the monthly budget and just think, oh, if I have more money, I'll be happier. Contentment seems just one mega pay rise away. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, Paul says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In, a, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, if you have this idea, just a little more will be okay. Just a little more will be okay. You need to watch it. You need to watch it. You need to watch it. And stay in the place of gratitude. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay. Now, another question you can ask yourself is, do I believe I'm more deserving than those who have less or more? So, do it, does your wealth put you in a state of pride? Or does your lack of not having money make you feel less of yourself? Are you taking your identity from your abundance or your lack? Or you're taking your identity from who? From Christ. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, you must understand that God is the one who wants to bless you. God is the one who wants to get you. Who wants to bless you. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 17 to 18, one of the things God wants against is saying, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this world. For you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. So you don't come to the place where your wealth becomes a source of pride and of boasting, but you are in a place where you stay humble before the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due season. The next question you can ask yourself is, do I hoard or have I come to the place of generosity? Do I hoard? Do I keep back? You know, do I keep back? Paul said in, in Philippians 4.17, not that I seek a gift, but I seek that the fruit that increases to your credit. You know, they were, they were ministering to Paul. How do you see life? When, when money comes into your hand, is it just about getting, accumulating, hoarding, or you're distributing? Now, the point here is, it's not only rich people who should have this as a mindset. The Bible tells us about the, these Christians in Macedonia, that out of their deep poverty, they, they were willing to give, they were willing to minister. They were, you know, I, I, I've been a pastor for a couple of years, and, and I see sometimes people just say, you know what, the responsibility of the pastor is just to give me money. And they never think, well, I ought to also be of a blessing to him. They never think that way. 
They never think that way. Especially folks who do not have, in that sense of do not have. But listen, when the gospel comes into you and you accept the Lord, your image will begin to change. You not see yourself as someone who doesn't have. You see that the greatest treasure of heaven and earth, which is Christ Jesus, lives in you. It will change your image to that of abundance. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, let's go our time. Number four. Do I manage well what I have been given? Now, a believer must be a proper steward. A believer must be a proper steward. And you must learn to manage actively that which God has given to you. So you ask yourself these questions. Let me round up with two scriptures. Final closing. Praise God. A good preacher should have two closings. Right. Praise God. Okay. Luke chapter 12 verse 15 and Hebrews 13 5. Final scriptures I want you to, to, to think about and meditate on. Luke twelve fifteen, And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possession. Don't ever forget, your life do not consist of what you possess. Your life is seed with Christ in God. That's your real life. Put energy into that spiritual life. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Glory to God. So you see, it says, listen, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said. So our faith is not in money to keep us. You know, know, something goes in my mind, right? You know, some people will read this scripture. Keep your life... Free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Instead of saying because God has said, he said because money has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, praise God. Let your faith not be in your money. Even if you don't have right now, let your faith not be in the fact that no, when I have money, my life is going to be better. No, 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 God, you've got God's promise with you. God says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That is the anchor of our soul. That's where we anchor our soul. We don't anchor our soul on our bank account. We don't anchor our soul on how much we have in our, in our bank account. We don't anchor our soul on the credit that we have. No. We, listen. He will never leave us. Not forsake us. Glory to God. I like, I like this. Verse 6. He says, so then we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid what will man do to me. Glory to God. It doesn't, what it, it doesn't matter what the economy say. It doesn't want to, matter what the IMF say. It doesn't matter what is happening with CBN or the, the currency controller of your nation. Man cannot do anything to you. Why? Because you boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Glory to God. 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 So we keep our lives free from the love of money. We're content with what we have. Because God has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So you make that confession every day. You say, in the name of Jesus, I keep my life free from the love of money. I'm content with what the Lord has provided for me. Because God has said, He will never leave me, nor forsake me. Therefore, I boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Glory to God. Let's stand up and let's pray. Father, we thank you. We pray that the light of God's word will shine in our hearts. We bring understanding and light and victory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we walk in that sense of contentment and progress. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we read ourselves of the deceitfulness of riches. We cause that the light of God's word will shine into our hearts and will produce light. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng. Or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.